You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So if you have your Bibles, want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 7, or if you have your, your phone, your pad, your whatever you use, uh, Luke chapter 7, we'll be uh, beginning there here uh, in just a second. Now, typically, I usually begin my sermons by telling a story, don't I? Usually there's some story, some anecdote, something to connect the passage that we're going to read to a real-life situation. And quite, in fact, it's quite often I'll say, you know, this emotion, this feeling, this experience that you know, happened to me or what this other person is very similar to what we see in this Bible account. Um, I'm not going to begin that way today, mainly because the story we're going to look at today is uh, the context is so overwhelmingly sad. It's a really, really hard and painful situation. Um, and I can't begin to fathom the depth of pain and hurt that was experienced by this person that we're going to actually unwrap and kind of take a look at um, here in the next uh, little bit of time we're together. Now, if you recall, we're in a series called Encountered by Jesus. And people, individuals who are, many of them are minding their own business, they're just going through life, and they have this encounter with Jesus that changes everything. Everything changes for them when they meet Jesus. And last week was the first week we started, and we looked at the person of Zacchaeus, um, who was a tax collector, and Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And the crowd, as, as he was going through, and the crowd was too big, he couldn't see, so he climbed up a tree, and we all have the song because of that. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Um, that's as far as I'm going to go. The lesson that we took there, one of the lessons we took away from that was that, that we need to be intentional in our pursuit of Jesus. That there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be challenges, there'll be things that keep us from Jesus, but if we really want to encounter Jesus, we have to be intentional about that. Today we're going to dig into the story of a woman who, not only was she not looking for Jesus, she probably felt like she had been totally abandoned by God altogether. So Luke chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 11, and you can follow on your screen here. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, um, this is a, a very, uh, for this woman in this story, this was an incredibly profoundly sad and um, sorrowful time. And yet, as we've already read, that something happens when she encounters Jesus. And what was really bad became incredibly good. So, Father, as we look at this a little deeper, I ask and pray that you would help us to understand um, how this might apply to our lives. Some of us are facing or in the midst of very hurtful, very uh, times of great sorrow or, or pain. 
And uh, so, Lord, may we learn and take away something uh, here this morning, we pray. And uh, we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like the story of Zacchaeus, this story as well is not listed in any of the other accounts of the other Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and John, they don't tell this story. It's just here in Luke only. Now, we, we, at the very beginning, it says, soon afterward, Jesus. When it, usually when it says that, you realize, all right, there's something that came before this. So soon after this was this. And what happened here, right before this, Jesus was in Capernaum. Um, and there's some things happening in Capernaum. And then that he was now going to a town called Nain, which actually means uh, char- or Charming, is what they mean. It's going to a little town here. Capernaum and, char- and, and, I say Capernaum and Charming, Capernaum and Nain are about 25 miles apart. So Jesus has been making his way through the countryside, moving on his way down towards Jerusalem. And uh, so, again, so I don't know where, what time of day he arrives I know that he's been, if it's, you know, so I don't know if he, you know, overnighted on his way, but 25 miles, this could be end of day. We're not really told what time it is. But it says that there's a dead person being carried out. Clearly, what we have here is a funeral, the funeral procession, and they're on their way uh, to the cemetery, on their way to where um, this person is going to, this young man is going to be buried. And what's interesting here is we, re- we recognize there's two large crowds. The, the idea of large crowds is mentioned in both of these. There's a large crowd following Jesus, and there's a large crowd that are part of this funeral procession, and these two crowds converge. They meet together here at this point in the road. Now we know nothing about this woman. We don't, we're not even given her name. At least with Zacchaeus, we, were, we don't hear anything more about him after that story, but at least we've got his name. In this case, we don't even know this woman's name. This woman never speaks in this entire story. And yet, the entire story is about her. So it's interesting. Now, we do know two things. We know that she was a widow and that her only son was about to be buried. Other than that, that's all we know. But those two things really actually do tell us quite a bit about her situation, about her life. One of the things we know is that for this woman, life wasn't fair. When she lost her husband and now she's lost her son. You know, in Genesis uh, chapter 49, Jacob uh, is talking, and he's nearing the end of his life, and he says, bury me with my father's. And so this was very common at that point in time where you buried people together in family units. So you had a family plot, if you will, or family tomb, and depending upon their wealth and how much money they had. But, but it's typical that, that this was happening in, in family clusters, if, if nothing else. The odds are good that this burial procession was heading to the same place where the husband was also buried. And she's reliving that episode while she's enduring this one as well. Cremation wasn't practiced at that time among the Israelites, and so it's likely because of just the way he says that, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lid on this, this, the beer that, that he's carrying on. So it's open. So it's likely that this, the, the death happened within the last 24 hours. And the body we know is wrapped. It doesn't say it's sealed. But I can imagine in the depths of this, this sadness and despair, I can imagine this woman wondering how life got here. I, can, I, I certainly don't think that she was thinking that life was going to turn this out this way when she was a little girl growing up. Or as a young woman, envisioning what her future was going to be like. 
or even on her wedding day. Nothing like this. This wasn't the life that she envisioned for herself. And the circumstances in her life really weren't her fault either. These were not, her circumstances weren't because she made bad choices or that things had happened to her because she had done something wrong. This was things that happened to her that were unavoidable, but certainly things that weren't part of her plan and what she thought life should be. <coughs> Excuse me. I can imagine her wondering in the depths of sadness and despair, wondering, God, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. You ever felt like that? It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? A terrible feeling. And this woman was right in the middle of it. We also know that she was in a place of emotional pain because she had lost what was most valuable to her. Honestly, I cannot imagine the depths of her pain at this moment. And unfortunately, it wasn't just the immediate pain of loss that she had to contend with. She was also now destitute and had no one to provide for her. Her future was really unknown. Timothy, or, or Paul, in, um, in his letter to Timothy, he talks about these um, widows, and he's talking about them in, in 1 Timothy 5. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren... These should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need, so he qualifies this, the widow who is really in need, who doesn't have any dependents, who doesn't have anyone, who has no family, this widow is who is left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. The woman in this story would be in this category. She was really in need. Her security in life was gone. Her husband was gone. Her son was gone. Her only son, she had nothing left. This woman was now all alone. This was her situation and her circumstance. Feeling of being alone is really one of the most difficult circumstances in all of life. I mean, think about it. What do they do to prisoners... People who are in prison who misbehave, put them in solitary confinement. I mean, imagine that. I mean, who would think what's worse than prison? Well, actually, there is. There's solitary confinement in that. And so it's actually a form of punishment because we are social beings. We need interaction. We need to be with people. Um, I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere about some people more than others or less people less than others. That's what we're made, isn't it? We're made to be with other people. This was the state of the woman in verses 11 and 12. But then we get to verse 13. Verse 13, it says, And when the Lord saw her, now she didn't know it yet, but everything in her life was about to change in that moment. Now at this point in the story, Luke does something really interesting. Um, In verse 11, he uses these words, Jesus went to town. And then in verse 15, he also says, Jesus gave him back to his mother. But in verse 13, he says, when the Lord saw her. Now, this is the first time in all of Luke that he uses the term Lord in reference to Jesus. And what he's telling us is that God, in that moment, it wasn't the person of Jesus, but God was in that moment. 
God was in the middle of those circumstances. God sees us and he sees our pain, but more than that, God is with us in the midst of our pain. Now, the simple truth is that this story is unique. Um, We can't replicate the outcome. There's not going to be a sermon here about three truths to help you bring the dead person back to life. I mean, we can't recreate that. That was This is a very unique moment. This isn't that kind of story. For me, the purpose of the story, this passage is about God's posture towards us. It's about God's posture. How does he think about us? How does he look at us? And how does he respond to us? And one of the things I think when we refer to God's posture towards us is that Jesus sees the pain and initiates the conversation. God sees the pain and initiates the conversation. Um, I've... Over the, uh, my years, I've had an opportunity uh, to go to um, a number of African countries and also India. But I remember the first time I was going to the country of Rwanda. It's actually my first time in the continent of Africa. And um, actually, I was really uneasy. I mean, because you see all the stuff on the news. You see how, and I was really concerned about the emotional impact this was going to have on me. I was really nervous, especially Rwanda. If you're familiar with that history, this is probably early 2003, I think is when I first went. Less than 10 years prior, they'd had the genocide. Literally a million people killed in 100 days. Um, and it was, it, was just in a, a, it was just a terrible, terrible situation. And I was going to be exposed to a lot of that. And I was nervous about that. I was very unsettled by what I might see and encounter, you know, the depth of poverty and different things. And any of you who have ever been to a developing country, you understand what I'm talking about. There's a reality of life. And I remember the first time I went to India that you have this, this high rise here that has every modern, I mean, every technology, everything you would see here in any city here, any major city here in the United States, right across the street is a slum that's been there for 2,000 years. 2,000 years it had been there, that slum. It was all integrated and mixed up. And, but here's what I discovered, is that, yes, I didn't encounter those things. You know, I've, you know, and so I've had a chance to, the village at the garbage dump in Bangladesh, or being with a widow in a mud hut in the country of Rwanda, or actually in Congo, and hear their stories. And here's what I discovered, in the midst of some of the most I want to say hurtful or painful circumstances in life and some of the most difficult situations in life, what I've discovered in every one of those situations, Jesus was there. Every time, Jesus was there. Jesus was there in the midst of sadness. He's there in the midst of sorrow. He's there in the midst of pain and suffering. You will always find Jesus in the midst of sadness and sorrow and suffering. And this is what's happening in this story. Jesus sees the sorrow, but instead of walking away and avoiding it, he steps towards it. He initiates the encounter with this woman. The way the story is told, Jesus and his followers could have just stopped, let the funeral procession go on by, and then continued on their journey. But he didn't do that. He, he was moved by what he had saw and what he, he observed in this woman, and he intervened into her life. Jesus was motivated by compassion, and he moved toward the woman. In the midst of overwhelming hurt and sadness, it can feel like God has abandoned us. And that's not what God does. God's posture is always to move toward us, stepping into the hurt and pain with us. 
Jesus sees the pain and initiates the conversation. I think the second posture that we can take from this story is that Jesus responds in a way that doesn't make sense. Now, notice what Jesus does. He walks towards the woman. He says, don't cry. I can promise you those words are not in any pastoral counseling book out there. I mean, you don't walk to someone who's grieving and hurting really deeply and say, stop it. You know, stop crying. You know, it's like, I mean, you're in for a world of hurt when you do that. But in that moment, Jesus knew what he was going to do. But the woman didn't. The woman doesn't know. In that moment, and it was just a short moment, a very brief moment. But in that moment, the words of Jesus may have seemed so very uncaring and insensitive. The woman was as low as one might be in life. And Jesus says to her, don't cry. Have you ever felt like that about God? Find yourself in the midst of great hurt and pain. And rather than a resolution to your problem, it seemed like God was telling you to just stop crying. It's in those moments that God's not indifferent to your pain. He knows what you're going through. In fact, Jesus knows suffering. Isaiah was writing and talking about Jesus. And he says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. But in that moment, the words of Jesus didn't make sense, I'm sure. Then Jesus did something that also didn't make sense. So it wasn't just his words, he actually did something. Jesus ignores the ritual uncleanness of touching, you're not supposed to touch a dead body. So for a Jew to touch, to come in contact with a body, a dead body, they were ceremonially unclean, which means he had to be separate for a week from everything. And Jesus ignored that and touched the, the, barrier, the thing they were carrying, which was un, also unclean, and he did that. Sometimes the words of Jesus don't make sense to us. Sometimes the actions of Jesus don't make sense to us. However, in those moments, we can be confident that God has not abandoned us. He's with us. In those moments, we have to trust. Trust that God does, in fact, have our best interests in mind. I think another reflection of the posture of God can be seen in that he confronts death and brings forth life. Now, because of this incident and because of his own death and resurrection, which will be coming um, uh, here in the very near future for Jesus, because of this, we know Jesus can turn death into life. We know that. We know that that's not beyond his capacity. Jesus is God, and there's nothing that is too much for him. There's no problem we can encounter, no situation we can find ourselves in that is beyond God's ability to redeem us and to bring us out of and help us. No problem is too big for God. I think it's interesting, the word, when he says get up, that word that's used there, it actually can be looked at another way, it's wake up. Wake up. Spiritually speaking, Jesus might say the same thing to some of us today. Wake up. I have so much more for you than you can even imagine. Lastly, Jesus restores hope as he gives the boy back to his mother. Now, who receives the miracle in this story? It's not the boy. I mean, the boy is raised from the dead. That's a miracle. 
But it's not about him, is it? He's raised the dead not because God had compassion on him per se. It was the mother. The, the, the Luke, as he's writing out the story, he says, when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. Now, while Jesus wasn't indifferent about the boy, I mean, I don't want to insinuate that, his response was entirely about the mother. And so Jesus raises the boy and gave him back to his mother. I love that. <clears throat> can you imagine the emotions of the mother in that moment? I mean, can you imagine that you know, she's gone from just being utterly lost to... My son's back. My son's alive. That my, the future that I thought was is no longer, and everything changed in that moment because of this encounter with Jesus. I love how it says there. It says the people there. Luke goes on to talk about the people. The people were filled with awe. And when it says awe, that wasn't like it wasn't like watching fireworks and like oh, isn't that cool? Awe is is actually saying fear. Honestly, there's they're saying something like, holy crap, God's here. You know? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. But you get my point? It, it was like, this is, this is, this is scary stuff because you realize the extent of what's going on. This wasn't just God is here. Sometimes I think we trivialize God, and we, this word of awe and God's awesomeness is literally one of fear not because he's dangerous or reckless or we're in, or we're in danger, but because of who he is. And we recognize that when he's, in his, when he's in our presence, that is a time of great awe. And they literally said, God has come. God is here. God is here amongst us. That was their reaction. The mother went from this unbearable grief to uncontrollable joy. I can only imagine. She probably hugged him and never let him go for days. <clears throat> it's like, Mom, please. No. I'll be right here. She wouldn't let go. All of this because, because of an encounter with Jesus. Now, it's because of stories like this that we have hope that Jesus will intervene in our times of hopelessness, of struggle, of pain, of suffering. And we pray and we fast and we call upon God to do just that, don't we? We're also well aware that Jesus doesn't always intervene in the manner we want. The simple truth is sometimes the funeral procession makes it to the cemetery. And in those times, it's so very important that we hold on to the promise of Jesus when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we uh, have looked at this story of this woman, it's, uh, Lord, so very obvious of just the circumstances, the pain uh, that she was feeling, and the abandonment and the loss. And Lord, she may have been even angry with you uh, because of that. And I have no doubt, Lord God, that as you uh, intervened in her life, it was to restore hope. And Lord, I know that's what you desire to do for all of us. Lord, that we can have hope. <clears throat> Father, I think it's also important to recognize and to remember <clears throat> that this life is not our final destination. That it's eternity with you that will matter most. And so Lord, even though 
sometimes the circumstances don't may not work out the way we want, we can be confident that you're with us, that we're not alone. And we can be confident of the fact that we will one day, all of us will be healed. All of us will be restored. All of us will have our full faculties, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of it, when we're with you for all eternity. And so, Lord, in those times of difficulty and struggle, we hang on to you, Lord, and we'll hold you to your word of never leaving us and forsaking us. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.